Welcome to Radio Beacon, the podcast of Beacon Communications. I'm Dan Kittredge, editor of the Cranston Herald, joined here on this Friday, November 13th by Jake Morocco, editor of the Johnson Sunrise. Jake, happy Friday. Ooh, happy Friday indeed. It's a spooky Friday. Spooky Friday the 13th. Friday the 13th in the year 2020. That's a a loaded proposition. Every single day has been a Friday the 13th in 2020. So... (laughs) Something like that. Yeah. It feels like that a lot of the time. But uh, hope everyone's doing well and staying safe out there. We're uh, we're recording here, uh, um, you know, the day after uh, what uh, we were just talking before this. What uh, was probably one of one of the the most um, you know bleak briefings yet from Governor Raimondo on uh, on the COVID nineteen pandemic. Um, you know, pretty. Uh, yes, yesterday she was joined, uh, flanked by three doctors from from different hospitals, including uh, um, the the doctor who's uh, leading the uh, Cranston Field Hospital site, the medical director there, um, and some really just bleak, uh, you know, unsettling warnings about uh, where we are. You know, where where Rhode Island is uh, as cases continue to surge. Um, the possibility of a new lockdown, given the trends in uh, in case counts and hospitalizations, which uh, I don't, I, f- I forget. Uh, I know the data update for today came out a couple hours ago. I think uh, we we for three days this week set new single day highs in case counts, newly reported case counts with positive rates hovering around seven percent. I think today was down a little bit from that kind of level, but I know hospitalizations are somewhere around 250 now. And that was the most uh, troubling part, I think, of, of that yesterday was, you know, the hospital, the existing COVID beds uh, in, in Rhode Island, I, I believe they said they're at like 86, 84% capacity right now um, and are on course to hit capacity within a week. So at that point, you're talking about, uh, expanding the uh, existing surge capacity at hospitals and uh, then the Cranston Field Hospital site being opened. So I know uh, John Howell, our editor and publisher from the Warwick Beacon, uh, was there this morning along with Arden Bastia from our staff um, touring uh, the Cranston Field Hospital site. Officials welcomed the media in there for a final look uh, as training and preparations get underway in anticipation of it potentially being needed to uh, be activated in the next couple of weeks. So, um, and I know both Arden and John said it was a, uh, a sobering visit. Um, so stay with us. We'll have some coverage for that. We'll of course be staying on top of uh, the latest pandemic developments in our communities. Um, I did, uh, there's a write up from yesterday's briefing on our website so you can check out. Um, I'll mention too, from a local perspective, the pandemic has, uh, or this this latest surge has um, wrought some havoc in, uh, wreaked some havoc in uh, uh, Cranston where uh, um, all Cranston public schools yesterday and today went uh, to full distance learning. Um, because of, uh, you know, I spoke with Janine Notamassi, the, the superintendent there, and a, a, a past guest on, on this podcast. She uh, said that, um, you know, earlier in the week, I guess, there had been, because of uh, various issues, plans for both uh, Orchard Farms Elementary School and Cranston East to go full distance for these two days. But then as uh, that, that decision was made Tuesday, and then as Wednesday arrived, additional cases uh, continued to crop up, um, and it created a situation where they they could not, um, I guess, guarantee the needed staffing levels at various schools. So the decision was made to go full distance for uh, the remainder of the week. Mondays are, uh, you know, the schools were out on Wednesday because of Veterans Day. Uh, Mondays are full distance for the for the whole district. So. Um, as soon as Tuesday, schools could resume, but um, that still does remain in flux from what I understand. I'll be circling back with Janine to, to check in on that and what they're planning, where they are. But, uh, you know, so the, the governor uh, 
continues to say that you know schools aren't seen as a the driver of this surge. That um, you know any uptick in cases in school communities, um, they see uh, the data as showing um, being driven by the broader community spread. You know, a reflection of that that uh, schools like businesses and you know other controlled settings they talk about are are not the drivers. That it's informal social gatherings. Um, you know, parties and stuff like that and those kind of settings that are driving the spread. You know, I know we were talking before we went on, Mike, and uh, speculating that it might be some combination of, you know, the weather turning, forcing people back inside increasingly, you know, the the pandemic fatigue that uh, gets talked about, people just kind of becoming, you know, laxer, feeling more comfortable around uh, family and friends and being more willing to have gatherings and you know, and also the fact that, uh, you know, that the, the numbers had been surging in other parts of the country. And, uh, you know, <laughs> thankfully, because this is a free country, you know, there's mobility and, and there's just there's 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 spread. So um, it's finally it's finally reached us, the second surge, and it's doing it in a really uh, things turned. The tone turned very quickly and the, the situation seems to have escalated exponentially. Um so we'll keep our fingers crossed that the next couple of days show improvements. I know, you know, the testing access seems to be um, an issue again with increased demand. I saw that uh, lines were very long at the convention center testing site yesterday. Certainly not like what we see in other parts of the country. I know there was a video on one of the news broadcasts of, uh, I don't know if you saw it, Jake, at, at Dodger Stadium in California mm. where there was like, I forget how long they said the lines were, but it was just a sea of cars. Um, so it's all very troubling. Hopefully, hopefully circumstances uh, improve and um, and we can avoid the worst of it. But we're certainly, I think at this point, have to brace for that. So um, I know that's a real downer way to start this, but uh, we got a couple other news uh, tidbits to go over, I think. Um uh, I just, uh, uh, from another, for another Cranston centric, uh, update, um, you'll remember Jake and, and readers of the Herald will know the Cranston crossing proposal at the, uh, current Mulligan's Island property on, uh, New London Avenue near the Warwick line in Cranston. Um, that, uh, plans for that emerged over the summer. Um, they're seeking to build this, uh, this large development that would be centered by it's a new commercial development would be centered by a Costco wholesale club with a couple other components, some future uh, fast food and retail or um, other types of uh, commercial, you know, smaller commercial development around it. Um, The uh, it had been the subject, it, it, the the plans arose during the campaign season, of course, and it became a, uh, a very hot button political issue. It drew uh, a lot of opposition from neighbors in the area and then uh, the majority of candidates, um, certainly all four candidates for mayor, um, four of the major candidates for mayor during the primary season uh, expressed their opposition to it. Um, As it was presented initially, there was uh, the majority of council candidates um, shared similar views, you know, saying that it would... uh, as it was presented, it would be harmful to the neighborhood, would exacerbate traffic traffic concerns on uh, in the Route 2 Sakonasa Crossroad area. Um, and so uh, at, at a certain point, you know, this was all hearings on this, pro- 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 uh, excuse me, proposal were supposed to begin in uh, September. They got pushed a couple of times. Um, now there has been a new plan submission um, from the developer of this property, Coastal Partners LLC, based in Massachusetts, they have an agreement in place to purchase the Mulligan's Island property from its current ownership, um, and they've submitted new plans now uh, after the election here to the Planning Commission and the Planning Department in Cranston, and it looks like the hearings are finally going to get underway on uh, December first, and the process would you know go first through the Planning Commission, then head to the city council for committee review first, and then uh, ultimately to the full council, theoretically, um, by the end of the month. 
Now, uh, um, what they're seeking is a, uh, a zoning change. This, this zoning that governs the site, not to get too technical, but it's called a mixed use plan district, an MPD. And it, uh, was tailored, uh, basically to, to the Mulligan's Island operation specifically. Um, it's such that it, you know, it only allows for very specific uses. Um, and it was, it was uh, adopted back in the late nineties, I believe, to allow for the Mulligan's uh, operation to open. This would be a significant amendment to that MPD. Um, and uh, the new, uh, after, after speaking with Michael DiGiuseppe the, uh, um, from uh, Coastal Partners this afternoon, um, he tells me, and the, the new plans are also up on the uh, planning department's website at cranstonri.gov. You can go check them out. Um, there's a couple of significant changes. The first is that uh, a residential portion of the, the proposal, um, future, future house construction, kind of behind the driving range on, uh, uh, at Mulligan's Island. The proposal now, it's about 20 acres, is to give that land to the city, uh, to deed it to the city for recreational and open space use, um, which uh, is a substantial change based on some of the concerns that have been raised. And, um, you know, the developer is presenting it as a, uh, you know, a gift to the city that will provide an additional um, buffer for residents of those neighborhoods in the area and um, also provide a, a new recreational resource for the city as it loses Mulligan's Island. Um, the other major change seems to be that uh, a portion of state land that runs along the entrance to Mulligan's Island, for folks that know that that road there, um, that had initially been included in the plans um, because it wasn't clear whether it would be needed as part of a new intersection that's being planned. Um, that is no longer part of the proposal either, that state land. So those seem to be the two major changes to the proposal. Um, you know, the developer continues to tout it as a, uh, a jobs creator and uh, a tax revenue creator for the city. He estimated that combined between co construction jobs and then jobs associated with Costco and the other developments, um, he said it would be about 600, I think it was 600 jobs. Um, and, uh, or 800, I think he said actually, and, and, uh, the tax revenue, which is currently $75,000 a year to the city would net increase by about $600,000, he said. So based on numbers he's gotten from the city. So, um, you know, I'm planning to reach out to, uh, uh, some of the folks who have been opposed to this project to this point and kind of get their take. And then in a couple of weeks we'll be, um, you know, hearing uh, hearing from all of these folks in a more formal setting before the planning commission. So anyway, not to belabor that too much, but uh, that's some significant news. That was a major issue during uh, the summer months here in, uh, in Cranston, garnered a lot of public attention, um, led to a couple of big neighborhood gatherings, one a, uh, um, a meeting of those neighbors, and then another that was a, a joint event between the planning commission and the city council at the Mulligan site that drew a big, a big crowd in August. Um, so anyway, that, uh, stay with us. We'll have uh, full coverage in the Herald this coming week of those plans. And, um, and we'll be staying tuned to what's, uh, what's ahead now, uh, Jake to turn to back to the political scene. We're here post-election. We know the winners, uh, but for one race, that is the house district 42 contest. That district covers a portion of, John, uh, Cranston as well as Johnston, represented currently by Stephen Ucci, who is retiring. Um, and I know this one came down to the wire, and uh, um, we have some some news over when uh, we might know the winner in this contest. Yeah, I got a call from Ed Cardillo Jr., who is the Democrat anointed by Steve Ucci to take his spot. Uh, he was being challenged by Frank Ritchie. Uh, when all of the votes were counted, I believe it, the original tally was a 92 vote difference. I think that's up to like 111 now. He got uh, Cardillo got a little bit more of a boost. I think maybe in provisionals or whatever other ballots had to be counted. Uh, that's still well within the recount margin. Which for an election that has 20,000 votes or fewer, if it's within 200 votes, you can request a recount. That was requested uh, by Frank Ritchie. And Ed Cardillo Jr. called me today and said the Board of Elections called him and said that that recount will be done at, 
8.30 a.m. Monday, and he was told it would take about an hour. So we will know likely Monday morning uh, who will be representing District 42 in the uh, Rhode Island House of Representatives. Yeah, that's something. I mean, I that, uh, for in a year that we expected uh, some of these races to be extremely close, I know I was kind of I was prepared for the the Cranston mayoral race for that House District 15 race to be very good, you know, to be squeakers didn't end up that way. And, uh, so this is, it, this has been kind of the, uh, the main ongoing drama now, um, on the local level that, uh, so be very interested to see who, who, uh, winds up on top there. But, um, what was the margin at, at present? Uh, I, I, I don't have the tab open on the top of my head. I believe it is around 109 votes around there. hundred yeah. and something, a little over a hundred. Yeah. It was 92 uh, after the mail early and um, uh, in-person votes were counted. There were some some straggler votes that still had to be put into the, the into the, the tabulations. But BOE or Secretary of State's office tweeted the other day that they uh, after all the votes had been cast, and then they, I believe it's up until November 17th. You can request a recount. Frank Ritchie did it, I believe, like a couple days after the election, maybe the day after the election. He requested one. Uh, once all those ballots have come in, so that uh, that that recount will be interesting. Uh, I want I don't know how it'll go. I think it's a it's a decent margin, so we'll see we'll see how many votes uh, Frank Ritchie makes up. But it's definitely uh, indicative of the the shift towards the Re- Republican side in Johnson over the past few years. Yeah, a town that uh, again went for President Trump. I know and that garnered some attention, even at some other communities. In the state, swung back uh, toward the Democratic column this year. And Frank Ritchie, but, probably uh, the most unapologetic uh, Trump-supporting candidate in Johnson, uh, very, mm. very closely aligned uh, with. You know, yeah, he, he had signed everywhere you saw a Frank Ritchie sign. There was a, uh, you know, make you know, keep America great sign for Trump, like right next to it. And he had the slogan of "Make Rhode Island Great Again." You know, so very, very closely tied to that that Trump. And also, Ed Cardillo doesn't have the familiarity that Steve Ucci had. He definitely has the endorsement, which looks like it'll get him over the top and the party affiliation. Um, but I think it, it really comes down to uh, that that endorsement by Steve Ucci, and people know him and they trust him. So, uh, and, and Ed's done nothing but make good impressions around town. He's been you know, very nice and approachable, so is Frank. So um, it's it's definitely one of those races that, I, I could have seen could have seen coming down to the wire and sure enough it did. Yeah. Well, we'll be watching that closely. Look forward to hearing on Monday how that's turned out. Um, you will know as soon as I do. Trust yeah. me. And I know uh, you know I I think we said this uh, last week, but um, you know the the complaints of uh, some uh, without any evidence, notwithstanding, uh, you know, kudos to, uh, all of the state's, uh, various election officials, all the volunteers who work polls, everyone who's, uh, you know, this election, um, for, for the unprecedented circumstances we found ourselves in and the, uh, the shift toward mail and, and early voting, <clears throat> um, all seem to go, you know, in some, some hiccups with the count on election night in Cranston, some technical issues in a couple other communities, but, uh, um, all that being said, you know, we saw a, a real surge in, in voter participation, civic engagement, and that's really great to see. And um, all in all, seemed to have gone very well and, and smoothly. And so, uh, you know, we, we can have faith in, uh, in the outcome and, uh, and, and the, uh, the fact that uh, all Rhode Islanders have a chance to, uh, to weigh in. So kudos to everyone uh, whose work made it possible. And uh, um that's about that. I guess on, uh, you know, other, uh, to make note, relatedly in the political scene, check out this week's uh, Warwick Beacon. John Howell spoke with Warwick Mayor-elect Frank Bacosi about his transition planning um, after his uh, unexpected and unexpectedly large win over incumbent Mayor Joseph Solomon. Um, John had a good uh, sit down and, and a sense of where he's going, who he's talking to. Um, how he's approaching this transition um, with just a few weeks to go until the new year and the the new the start of the new administration. Um, and I'll uh, I did speak with Ken Hopkins, the mayor elect in Cranston, a little bit earlier this week by phone um, after deadline. But uh, you know he said he's working on his transition as well. He's uh, 
I guess, got a little set up in City Hall. He, of course, was endorsed by Mayor Fung and, um, you know, has some pretty close ties to the administration as it is. So um, he was uh, he, did, he didn't get into specifics at this point with me about, uh, you know, who's uh, the administrative team that he's going to have in place, how many folks will be remaining from the Fung administration. But uh, um, and uh, we'll be watching, too, to see exactly what the inaugural uh, uh, events look like. I guess that's going to be tied a bit to the course of this pandemic in the next few weeks. But um, stay tuned because I'll certainly be following the uh, the transition in Cranston and uh, speaking further with uh, Councilman Hopkins. Hopefully we can uh, get him back on the podcast soon, as well as Mayor Fung, you know, hopefully. And uh, um, maybe Frank Picozzi, too, we can uh, we can get on here. I'll have to talk to John. Um, so I think folks would like to hear from. Uh, yeah, no, for sure. I think people would definitely, definitely want to get Pucosi on this uh, on this podcast. Yeah, and then soon we can, uh, uh, you know, start all the uh, speculation about 2022, and uh, where we're going to have a bunch of students. soon. I'm already there, my friend. <laughs> I think it's also good. Uh, it's also good for my mental health to forecast 2022. Yeah, just skip right over 2021 and just head right f- headlong into 2022 instead. Yeah. yeah, brighter days ahead. I certainly hope. Um, this year has been something else, which goes without saying. I know, but uh, it's won't be sad to see this year go. But no, it certainly kept I'll, us in business. You know, there's been plenty to write about. Although I'm sure you you've seen the jokes online of uh, of people waiting on New Year's for the clock to turn to midnight and it just turns to 11:60 instead of 11. And after 11.59, it's 11.60 and not midnight. It's just going to keep yeah. the year going on forever and ever and ever and ever. 2020's cruel design. It's, uh, it sounds like a Netflix movie to me. It sure go. does. Yeah, it does sound like a Netflix movie because you don't ever want to see it again. But anyway, yeah. uh, for the most part, that's now Netflix, sponsor the podcast if you want to. <laughs> we'll take it. <laughs> That'd be uh, nice. We'll have to work on that. Yeah, we will. We, we'll have to get on that. Well, I guess uh, um, for our uh, our special guest interview this week, um, earlier this week, I uh, had a chance to sit down with Brandon Potter uh, once again. He is, uh, when I spoke to him first, he was a uh, Democratic candidate for the House District 16 in, uh, uh, in the General Assembly. Um, he won that primary race, and uh, then last week he won the seat. Um, so he is the representative representative elect in District 16. Um, he, uh, during the campaign, was affiliated with uh, certainly the more progressive uh, side of, of the party and the, that kind of broader movement that we've seen across the state. And that's made some inroads um, in the assembly in particular, um, received the backing of the, the Rhode Island Political Cooperative, the Working Families Party, was trumpeted by them after his win. Um, and then some uh, made some waves, uh, uh, or some waves were made after, uh, you know, with, with the defeat of House Speaker Nick Mattiello, of course. Um, there was a, uh, a leadership vacuum in the House, quickly filled by Rep. Warwick Rep. Joe Shikarchi, who last week got the Democratic Caucus's uh, blessing to serve as the next Speaker. Uh, Brandon Potter was among the folks to vote for Joe Shikarchi. Uh, that led to a uh, a quick rebuke from the political cooperative, um, which uh, um, had campaigned. Uh, you know, its its candidates had been strongly, including Brandon, had been strongly critical of Speaker Mattiello and his leadership. Um, the political cooperative uh, severed its relationship with Brandon, uh, citing, you know, Josh Karchi currently serves as the majority leader in the House. He's part of the uh, he's, he's the speaker's. Number two, basically, um, part of the leadership team. Um, so they cited that, you know, saying that they have a more total view of uh, of uh, turning the page on the Mattiello era. Um, Brandon, uh, you know, as I think we mentioned last week, you know, came out and uh, we had some coverage in, <laughs> excuse me, this week's paper um, based on my conversation with him um, about his reasoning for voting for Joe Shikarchi. Um and uh, and about uh, how he's preparing to take uh, office, um, so it's a good chance to catch up with him to kind of reflect on his win on these recent uh, events that, that may have some waves on Twitter and in the in the progressive sphere, the political sphere. 
Um, so it was great to catch up with him, have him back in. And uh, um, we'll go to that in a moment. I guess, Jake, uh, to uh, to wrap up our conversation, uh, do you have any uh, – we, we've typically done a little entertainment recommendation, anything on your uh, playlist or queue this week that you'd uh, throw out there for folks? Uh the only thing I think it's not really a not, not not much of a TV show or movie recommendation, but uh, the the new Spider-Man Miles Morales video game got released this week, and uh, that will be consuming a large portion of my weekend. Um, very excited for it. I, it's the reason the first game for Spider-Man is the reason I bought a PlayStation Four. That was two years ago, and it's the fastest I've ever played a video game through. So I'm trying to pace myself now. Uh, but it is, uh, and it looks absolutely incredible. So, uh, that, that is, that's what, and I've also just kind of been rewatching the office for, uh, another side project I'm doing in the office. I can, I'm happy to report still very good. <laughs> Shocking. Yes. Yes, indeed. Still stop, great. stop the presses. I know. It's awesome. amazing. Still good. <laughs> what about cool. you, Dan? What have you been getting into? You know, I, uh, I finally, uh, after months of not ignoring, but just not, not taking up. Uh, many recommendations to watch the Mandalorian ah. finally gave it a watch. And uh, I got to say very entertaining. I've heard there's really. a certain diminutive, cute little fellow there in that show. He, you know, I, he is really a, a centerpiece of the show in a way I didn't realize before. I have heard. Um, I have to so get I'd, uh, I do. Uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I just have to get watching it. I do. I have, uh, I'm, I'm caught up enough in the show in the, uh, the canon to, to watch the Mandalorian, but I'll have to uh, I'll have to find some time to do it. I've done, I've always enjoyed Star Wars, or at least like the old you know the original yeah, right. trilogy. I've never really been uh, big on much of the rest of it, yeah. you know, uh, or, or as certainly as uh, into it. But uh, so I guess maybe that played into my not skepticism, but just like you know not uh, picking it up. But uh, it's really fun. It's really well done. It has a lot of the the energy of uh, the early. Uh, the earlier Star Wars with uh, that, you know, the space Western feel, which is pretty cool. And there's quite a, uh, quite a litany of uh, fun cameos from like uh, random comedians and people like Werner, Werner Herzog, mm. um, Amy yeah. Sedaris and uh, Brian Posehn was briefly there. Uh, kind of some interesting characters that uh, mm. like, wow, that's, that's cool that they got a, a bit role in this, this major production here you know yeah for sure no let's check it out i heard nothing but good things really and then uh yesterday after uh uh after i watched that depressing briefing from the governor i i continued working uh on the beacon on deadline and cranked up the deftones on my uh, ah, on my headphones the new deftones you know i did see there was a new one and i i listened to a couple of the tracks i'll have to give it another uh a fuller yeah. spin. Buddy of my right. buddy of mine really 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 love the album. I'm not big into into Deftones, so it wasn't really my jam. But uh, for people who like Deftones, I've heard it's a it's an incredible album. So uh, I think you'll like it. They've been uh, markedly consistent. You know, I go and listen to some of their later period albums, and they're all they're all pretty good. So so if you need to get your angst out, you know, crank up some Deftones. Look, they're no they're no corn, but they're pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> Fair, couldn't, couldn't fair assessment. <laughs> yeah. That's well, yeah. with that, uh, thanks as always to everyone for listening. We'll, uh, and thank you, Jake. Hope you have a great weekend. And uh, You as well. Uh, with that, check us out. Uh, you know, check out warwickonline.com, cranstononline.com, johnstonsunrise.net. Subscribe today. Listen to those podcasts. Subscribe today. And uh, we'll go now to my conversation with... House District 16, Representative-Elect Brandon Potter. Yeah, a little bit. But, uh, so congratulations. Um, 
you Thank know you. I, I know you put out a statement on the victory. I know I saw you on uh, Tuesday morning at Hope Highlands, and uh, you know you you mentioned that you thought a, a win in this district particularly could send uh, I think the words were used were quite a message to uh, you know across the state. What what have you been hearing from folks since? What are your kind of wrap up thoughts on on getting over the finish line? Well, the discussions that I've been hearing from people have definitely been centered on um, the leadership situation in the House. Mm -hmm. But as far as what I was talking about uh, on Election Day, uh, I think it just speaks volumes to how a progressive candidate uh, can actually get elected in a quote-unquote purple district. Mm -hmm. How you find the common ground with people, how you connect to their everyday lives and, and the things that they're actually concerned about, and how you translate that into your policy. Yeah. And I think, especially considering that we have uh, a new representative elect in the neighboring district, mm -hmm. in District 15, so to see that district, quote unquote, go Republican, and then in my district, um, you know, elect what everyone calls a progressive Democrat. Um, you know, it shows polarization, but I think that there's also uh, a big overlap of what people are actually concerned about with transparent government, accountable government, people that are actually uh, speaking to the things that everyday people and, and working families are concerned about. Yeah. So. I gotta say, looking through the results, going through the precincts, you know, I, I noticed a, a lot of the made in the mayoral race about um, Ken Hopkins' ties to the eastern part of the city and potential strength there for a, a Republican especially. And, and looking at the numbers, it looks like that kind of bore out, especially in Ward 2, District 16. Um, you and Anish Germain, Councilwoman in, in Ward 2, um, there are these precincts where Councilman Hopkins won, but you both performed very strongly. Um, so it kind of, I, I thought that was an interesting dynamic. It kind of speaks to what you were you were talking about there with the, you know, it's a purplish district. It's one that's been represented by more establishment Democrats and Republicans in recent years. Um, so what, what do you see as kind of the, did you expect that kind of, uh, you know, dichotomy, I guess, in the district? Did, you know, people splitting their tickets? Yeah, because I had a transition from being in the primary and only talking to Democratic voters and hearing what they had to say and speaking that message. And then immediately after transitioning to the general election and talking to everybody, talking to unaffiliated voters, Republican voters, people that don't typically vote, um, and hearing all of that. And it became really, really clear very quickly that people are really not that concerned with partisanship and, and that political culture. They don't fall into that hyper rhetoric that we've become so familiar with. Um, and it was kind of a relief in a lot of ways, but it was also really telling to me personally because I met a few dozen, I would say, people that told me they were voting for President Trump, they had voted for President Trump before they supported him, and were voting for me. Mm -hmm. And that was something that I, as a, a new political candidate, I was not expecting. I yeah. thought that that hyper divide, people would really, you know, lean more one way to the other than the other. And I mean, the biggest voting block that we have are unaffiliated voters. And those people truly are independent minded. Mm -hmm. And the thing that I heard over and over again from people was, I don't vote for the party, I vote for the person. So from that, I just take that um, there's a lot of opportunity for the things that progressives are talking about to actually make headway with the unaffiliated voter block and it's not by you know being very hard-headed or um, being very abrasive and how that message is conveyed to them those things on both ends of the political spectrum turn people off they don't like it um, but if you actually talk about core values the things that you find important and most importantly if you actually listen to people and ask them, you know, what are your concerns? What, 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 do you, what issues do you find most important right now? How do you think our government can work for the better? What would benefit you? Um, I think that's what people are looking for. They're looking for political candidates and, and people in office 
that have that sense of accessibility, are willing to be accountable to them, and can demonstrate that they're going to put their needs ahead of just party allegiance and hyper-partisan rhetoric. Yeah. You mentioned uh, in the neighboring districts, we had uh, uh, the biggest upset in, in the clo most closely watched race of the night with Barbara and Fenton Fung, Republican knocking off Speaker Mattiello, and that set off a, uh, a, a leadership uh, transition here um, and ended up resolving itself fairly quickly. And you've been kind of uh, drawn into this storyline, of course, as a, a rep elect, and um, you ended up voting for the, uh, the nomination of Joe Shikarchi, the Warwick Democrat, who's been part of the Speaker's leadership team. I know that uh, that drew a pretty quick rebuke from the political co-op that you've been involved with. Um, I know you've put out a, a statement on this as well, but can you talk about how that unfolded? Was that, was that something you expected? Um, it was something I expected in the immediate because it was conveyed to me immediately before casting that vote that that would be the outcome. Mm. And I was okay with that because ultimately I promised the voters um, in, in our district that I would be independent yeah. and I would exercise my judgment in, in every situation and I wouldn't be beholden to any one group, special interest, or, or party leader. So uh, I made the decision that I thought was the appropriate decision to actually get things accomplished. And I think we, we all really need to take a deep breath and realize that election season is over. There's an awful lot of work serious work, urgent work that has to get done. I mean, we've had overlapping crises for quite some time. Just in the last couple of days, I mean, here we are speaking to each other in masks. Yeah. We've got another surge of, of COVID-19. Um, we just read a report, 1,500 cases over the, over the weekend. Yeah. Um, small businesses are continuing to suffer. There's a looming budget crisis that our state is going to have to address that's immediately going to affect the decisions that our newly elected mayor, our newly elected city council uh, have to take into consideration and everything that they do. So these are the things that uh, I'm, I'm really focused on. And I think it's unfortunate that this has become uh, such a, a talking point. Um, have you heard from other organizations that were supportive of your campaign, the Working Families Party, other more left-leaning? Have you, have you received, and even from others, you know, just, just people who are involved or constituents, you know, have you, have you received similar pushback or, or, or disappointment or whatever? I haven't received any negative feedback from anyone other than the tweet mm -hmm. that the RI Political Cooperative account sent out. Okay. Uh, reclaim RI the Working Families Party, who was tremendously involved in my campaign and did a lot of work for me, SEIU, other local progressive organizers that have supported me, there's been a resounding outpouring of support in response to that. Um, and, I, and I just think it goes to the heart of so much of what we're talking about with the political divide and what people really come to despise about politics. You know, Joe Shikarchi is not Nick Mattiello. Mm -hmm. And ultimately my vote was not the deciding vote. I didn't nominate Joe Shikarchi and Chris Blazajewski to lead the house. Mm -hmm. But I made a, a vote in an effort, in a gesture of good faith to show that I, I wanna work with this leadership team because they're the inevitable leadership team and we have to get to work. The urgency and the importance of actually resolving these issues is more important to me than making symbolic gestures and, and taking a stance. And I think what happened in District 15, what happened during the primary season across our state, uh, it's a time for a fresh start. And I think that we should all approach one another 
with good faith and, and say, let's get together and be willing to hold each other accountable, right? If there are things that unfold or reforms that don't happen that I think need to happen, I'm not gonna be shy about speaking my mind to that. Uh, I've gone on record, I've had a number of one-on-one conversations with a lot of people and made that clear that I'm uh, going to be somebody that holds people accountable and I'm gonna be vocal about my, my thoughts and calling balls and strikes how I see them. Yeah. But for the time being, I think we all have to hit reset and, and try to put our uh, political purity and ideology to the side for a second and actually focus on the issues that are affecting people and doing the work that we need our state government to do right now. Sure. I wasn't there at the caucus the other night, but the, the reporting I've seen on, on Twitter and, and elsewhere um, suggests that there was kind of a really, really genuine, um, you know, lightening of the mood, I guess, or that there's, you know, been, been a bit of a sea change just in terms of the, the atmosphere and that there's, there seems to be a lot of goodwill for the apparent incoming speaker. Um, what were your conversations like with him? I know you alluded in your statement to, you know, to, to your conversations a little bit, I guess. And what are your hopes for him, you know? Well, my conversations with him were, were very refreshing. Nothing like conversations I've heard about people having with the soon-to-be prior speaker. Mm-hmm. Um, there was zero amount of coercion or pressure, like no type of uh, implied threat. It was very welcoming. It was uh, just very, very positive and a complete change from, again, what I've heard have been other people's experiences with, with the soon-to-be um, former speaker. My conversations with, uh, with Joe Shikarchi were focused on the need for transparent and open government. Now, there's a number of progressive policies that I'm an advocate for. And I have no room to compromise on advocating for those issues. But I understand that the pathway to actually get progress made is to have open, transparent government where we can introduce legislation, we can debate it in full view of the public. Uh, Representatives and senators are on record for what they support and what they don't support. And ultimately, our constituencies hold us accountable. So... The conversations that I that I had with the next speaker were really centered on that, where there's a lot of reform that we need. We need to open up the committee process. We need to open up um, the transparency. And everything that he said to me was a commitment to, to hear that and, and move that ball forward. Um, and I think it also goes to show that uh, who he chose for majority leader mm-hmm. in Chris Blazajewski, who's the most progressive majority leader that our state is ever gonna ever had, right, once he takes that, that position. Um, he's introduced a number of pieces of legislation that um, I'm very excited to hopefully get over the finish line and enact. So all of my conversations with, with them have been really positive. And as far as other reps, I mean, I think textbook uh, example that, that just shows the changing of the guard is how many people were part of the reform caucus previously? How many women that that vocally spoke out about how they were treated uh, in in the chamber previously? And you know, Rep. Katie Kazarian was was one of the people that seconded the nomination and and has been one of his um, chief advocates. And I think that says a lot. So the the overwhelming sentiment in that chamber is people are really ready for a fresh start. They're very excited to, to have a new speaker and a new majority leader. And it seems like people are, are really ready to, the same way that I'm thinking about it, get to work on behalf of people and start solving the issues that we have to solve. Yeah. Are you getting indications of, of when uh, work might begin here? You know, the, there was always uh, the plan had kind of become to, to return to the budget after the election. Obviously, on the federal level, things still kind of remain in flux. But... Uh, Unfortunately, I don't have any type of inside information that I can that I can uh, you know uh, give to you. I've I've been following it closely and, and seeing what's been reported in the newspapers, um, where there's been some some uh, allusion to uh, conversations between Speaker Mattiello and, and uh, the next speaker. 
uh, about when that baton, so to speak, might be passed. But I don't, I don't have any information as far as if they're going to go back to session before January or, or wait till then. Yeah. I would hope that they would wait until January. I think um, after, after waiting after the election, waiting all this time, if they waited this long, I think it, it would demonstrate uh, letting the will of the people that have been elected in this, in this new cycle have a say in those budget decisions in the coming session. Sure. Now, uh, uh, after the, the House caucus met, the, the, the Senate uh, caucus met to re-elect, ended up re-electing its leadership, um, but uh, there were some notable uh, pronouncements coming out of that, some shift in support among leadership for uh, legalization of marijuana, I believe the minimum wage, um, the other couple of uh, big ones are escaping me, but um, do you see uh, there being renewed appetite for, uh, for these on the, the House side? Do you think, what are the prospects for some of the, uh, for especially the legalization of, of marijuana, which would be a big move? We saw a number of states um, approve it just last week. I think it's a must. Uh, when you see the amount of revenue that we're losing to Massachusetts, uh, you see broad public support for full legalization, and you see that we have uh, a serious budget issue where we need revenue. I think it makes sense from, from all sides. I can't see why uh, the House wouldn't, wouldn't take that up and, and push that over the finish line. I would fully expect that to, to be done in the coming years. Yeah. What, uh, I mean, I guess there's a lot ahead of you here. Um, you know, are, are there are particular lawmakers you're leaning on as you know to facing the learning curve, heading into things? Uh, anyone you're looking to as a mentor, particularly, or that you've had conversations with at this point? Yeah, there's there's been some sitting reps. There's been some prior reps. I've spoken to you know a handful of uh, senators, current senators. Uh, I fully expect that it's as you said going to be a learning curve. Um, I've never never been a legislator before. Um, I think I have a pretty fundamental understanding of the process uh, and, and how that uh, a bill is introduced and worked through committees and how it's amended and you know bounced back and forth between chambers. I think the, uh, the thing that I'm really focused on is building alliances and building bridges with people mm-hmm. and even people that you know we disagree with uh, on political ideology trying to find some common ground there because um, I'm just a believer that there's always some progress that we can make with people um, and there's always some common ground and by focusing on that instead of arguing about what you have different um, that's actually how government better serves people so I think even with the Republican caucus being 10 members out of 75 members I think there's a lot of room and opportunity there to, to work on some good government stuff. Yeah. They seem to be very concerned with open, transparent government, and you know that's a staple of, of my concern right now. So, um, you know, I'm focused on that. And um, yeah, I mean, there's there's been a number of people that have that have reached out and, and offered advice and, and things like that. So, um, I'm looking forward to it. I know it's going to be a, you know completely. Uh, change of pace for me yeah. but um and, and, and no pressure because it's just you know people's lives that are that are really in the balance right now between COVID and small business and our economy and all the other issues that we have you know climate crisis um health but um you know this is what I signed up to do yeah. this is what I asked you know thousands of voters to give me an opportunity to go there and represent their interests yeah. so um I'm prepared to, to roll up my sleeves and, and do that to the best of my ability. It strikes me too that you'll be you'll be one of three freshman lawmakers from Cranston, um, including Barbara Ann Penfung in, in District 16 and Jacqueline Baginski in uh, District 17. Have you, do you know either of them at all? Have you uh, been in touch with them in any way? Funny you should ask. I actually reached out to Repelect Barbara Ann Fenton Fung this morning. I left her a voicemail congratulating her. Um, I think. Uh, hope, I'm hoping that her and I can form uh, a good relationship because I think that showing that, again, uh, on paper, divide on the political spectrum, but neighboring reps to be able to work together on, on some important things for the city of Cranston, I think would 
really be a, a great demonstration in leading by example about what government should be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, Jackie Baginski, Repelect Jackie Baginski, I've gotten the opportunity to, to speak to and meet a few times. I don't know her well, but she seems very energetic, uh, very excited about the coming session too. So I'm looking forward to, to working with her. And I would also say uh, there's now three elected government officials um, from the Cranston West class of 2002 yeah. with myself, uh, soon to be council member Nicole Renzulli and council member Ed Brady. Wow. So we all went to high school together. So uh, yeah, it's just interesting to see the, the changing of the guard in the new generation. Small world. Yeah. I'm East Oak too. Oh yeah, yeah, and I mean, Anise and I are our neighbors. We're oh, a couple... I, I'm, I'm Cranston East, oh, too. Oh, oh, I think you said Anise too. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, wow. Okay. The class of 2002 at Cranston High School. Well, we we've got to get elected a couple uh, O2 people. Yeah, we are. Yeah, yeah, East. Yeah. <laughs> um, there was a lot of talking into the election about the potential for a, you know this blue wave, and and that didn't really materialize. The, the Joe Biden uh, won the presidency, but the saw a down ballot, uh, kind of a, a dis- more disappointing night for Democrats. In Cranston, um, the, you know, that kind of trend kind of continued with the Republicans winning the mayor's office, holding control of the council. What are your uh, thoughts on how it, it shook out on the, the municipal level in Cranston? Well, I think it goes back to what we were saying before. Um, just people, by and large, are not really concerned with, with the partisanship. Mm-hmm. And if you had that old type of pulling the lever style of politics, then I think we'd have a different mayor because, uh, you know, Joe Biden won Cranston by, by a healthy margin. Um, and we also elected a Republican mayor. So I just think it goes right back to people are, the, the general electorate is not as concerned with the political hyper rhetoric that we politicals become so familiar with, right? Uh, I mean, I ran for office, you cover politics, there's you know, no shortage of people that are actively involved in the political realm. But I think that the things that um, you know, we typically think might be really important to people or people might be picking up on are, are really not that connected to their decision making. Um, and I think, I think that's a good thing, I do, because I don't, I don't think anybody should look at um, you know, Joe Biden and think that that represents every Democrat. And I don't think anybody should look at Donald Trump and think that that represents every Republican. And, you know, absolutism, I think, is uh, a real pollutant to our politics, where, you know, we just keep digging our heels in, drawing this stark, either for this or against that. Um, and it just pulls people apart instead of, again, focusing on the things that are actually important to people and what we have in common. and, and that's just what I think government has to do. So um, I'm excited about, um, you know, the, the new council members. Um, again, I, I know um, Nicole Renzulli, we've spoken a little bit. And um, what she said to me has been um, very, uh, made me very optimistic about what she can do on the city council. I've had some uh, very productive conversations with uh, soon-to-be council member Matt Riley. Mm-hmm. I listened to his interview with you, uh, and I, I told him this. I was very impressed with it. Uh, he strikes me as a very articulate, very rational, fair-minded person. There were some things that he brought up that we disagreed on, and I look forward to being able to you know, talk to him about these things and find more common ground. But the, the sense that I get from everybody who's newly elected uh, in Cranston is that they actually care. And, and they're there for the right reasons. They want to help people. They want to move our city forward. They want to improve our city. And my sense of responsibility is to do what I can on the state level to help facilitate that. Yeah. What's next? What's, what's next? the immediate next steps for you at, uh, as you prepare um, to take office? Well, I, I think there has to be a lot of focus on the budget. Yeah. That, that's the immediate. Um, and along with the budget, we have to really figure out how to resolve our public health crisis in a meaningful way. Got some good news today, hopefully, about the potential vaccine. Yeah, that, that, is, that is great news. The unfortunate side of, of that is that it seems so many people are cynical about it based on 
how it's been uh, framed from leadership in Washington. And there seems to be a lot of skepticism around it. And from talking to a lot of people, uh, one thing that I heard a lot of is, you just don't know what to believe anymore. And, and that's really problematic. So hopefully that, that pans out um, like it does. And uh, you know, we can shift to just what the economic response to it is rather than the, the public health crisis of it. Um, but the budget is, is the thing that's really concerning to me because you know, if we're just being candid, there's a lot of hard decisions that have to get made in that. Yeah. And the most important thing to me is that regular people aren't the ones uh, disproportionately hurt by it. Um, we've got to have a very holistic approach in how we resolve these things. Um, it seems like we're going to have uh, a referendum and a special election for a number of, of bond uh, proposals. And I think those things um, can, can be really useful in stimulating the economy and keeping us afloat as we get through this. But I think we all have to be clear-eyed and acknowledge that there's still going to be a lot of economic fallout from, from this pandemic. Uh, we really have to prioritize small business and, and support them in a meaningful way. So that's, that's what I think in the immediate. Um, you know, after that in the coming session, things that I ran on. I think uh, we can do a lot of work on climate. We can, and I don't mean that we solve the climate crisis locally, right? But I think that we lead by example. Um, you know, one of the things that I said a lot during the campaign was big thinking in a small state can go a long way. And I really see Rhode Island having a pathway to, to lead by example and show the country like what is actually possible, how states can, can drive the ball down the field. So that's uh that's at the forefront for me uh healthcare you know you mentioned what happened on the national level and it's still unclear what the senate picture is going to look like um but if we have a republican-led senate and a democrat executive and house um, i think we have to really get ahead of what the potential for the affordable care act is especially with the supreme court majority so codifying the ACA, I think, is something that we can do in the immediate. It would be my hope that we are able to add a statewide public option on that and then begin Medicare, Medicaid expansion with that and eventually move us to, to a single-payer system. Uh, that's probably my main initiative that I would love to see our state have in you know the next five to ten years. Um, so those are the things. I mean, that, that seems like a short list, but there's no shortage of uh, real work involved in every one of those things. Yeah. And, and I think, um, you know, there, there's been some important uh, gun reform legislation that's been up there in limbo for a long time. And I think with new house leadership that actually has a pathway to, to getting through and have some common sense, uh, safe gun laws enacted. Well, Brandon, thank you very much for coming in. Congratulations again, and uh, look forward to talking to you in the, the couple years ahead. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Radio Beacon is a production of Beacon Communications, publisher of the Warwick Beacon, Cranston Herald, Johnston Sunrise, and Coventry Reminder newspapers. Find us online at warwickonline.com, cranstononline.com, johnstonsunrise.net. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at RhodeyBeat, R-H-O-D-Y-B-E-A-T. This podcast is hosted by Anchor Podcasts. Subscribe today on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or other podcast platforms.